This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. Thanks for tuning in. Our question today is, can I lose my salvation? Can I lose my salvation once it's been attained? And isn't salvation in the New Testament always spoken of in the past tense when referring to those who have been saved? That's a good question, and let's just jump right in. There are a number of occasions wherein Paul will speak of his salvation as something that has already occurred, or in general for Christians, he will speak of their salvation as something that has already taken place. In Titus chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, Titus, uh, Paul says to Titus, When the kindness of our God and Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, so past tense, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. And so Paul is referring back to an event where we can see that in the text. And specifically, he's talking about when one was regenerated spiritually and their sins were forgiven through the washing of baptism and the renewal by the Spirit of God, both of which lead to this new identity, this new birth of of a Christian. There's many passages that that speak about that. Uh, John 3, 3 through 5, when Jesus is conversing with Nicodemus and he's telling him that no one can be in the kingdom unless he is born again, unless he's born of the water and of the Spirit. In Acts twenty two sixteen, 16, Ananias, when he is first speaking to Paul, and Paul is blind and and uh, penitent, he says, "Why? What are you waiting for? Arise and be baptized, and wash away your sins." And then in Second Corinthians five seventeen, Paul himself says, "If any man is in Christ, he is a new creature or a new new creation." So there's a clear dividing line here uh, when one is saved, when one is regenerated, when one is placed into the body of Christ and has their sins forgiven, and they're a new new creation, and it's at that that point. Um, that past sins are washed away forever. And Paul is saying that salvation has been accomplished in that individual who has submitted to God's plan for salvation and who loves his son and wants to follow his son. But at the same time, because of other passages, we can't go so far as to say that salvation ends with a conversion, with that obedience and repentance and baptism that Peter speaks of and that Paul speaks of and Jesus himself spoke of right in, in Mark 16, 16. So um, th- there's there's more to come. There's more growth. There's more that needs to be learned and, and taught and practiced. And that's what Jesus is describing in, in Matthew 28 when he is giving what we call the Great Commission to his apostles. He tells them, go and, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he says, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And so we we can look and we can see, uh, you know, as early as Acts chapter 2, when Peter's preaching the gospel and the people believe the truth about Jesus and they want to do something, they're clearly convicted and they're, they're very emotional, they're cut to the heart, and he tells them to repent and be baptized and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, you'll receive salvation, and 3,000 of them do. 
And then we continue reading in that chapter, in Acts chapter 2, and it says that they were continuing with one another daily in the temple, continuing in the apostles' teaching and the breaking of bread. Uh, they were later in the text socializing together, taking their meals together. So there was uh, more beyond just just their conversion. Yes, they were converted. They become these new creations in Christ. They, they're now Christians. Their sins are washed away. But the game's not over, so to speak. Um, that was, you know, their their initial obedience and their repentance and baptism, that was just the beginning, not the end. And so, yes, we speak of them as saved and speak of them as um, in Christ and as, as Christians, but uh, there's there's more to salvation than that. You know, some other statements that Paul will make, for example, in speaking of salvation, is not he doesn't use the past tense. In fact, he uses the uh, the present tense. Uh, when he's writing to Christians in Philippi, in Philippians two twelve, he says, "My beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence." Notice he says, "Work out your salvation with fear and trembling." And so. Here Paul shows us as he's writing to these Christians that their work wasn't done. Now, he is not talking about, he's not telling Christians, you need to earn your salvation now that it's been accomplished. That that doesn't make any sense. But what he is saying is that they had to continue to be obedient to the gospel. They couldn't just throw up their hands and quit. And those are his words. Right, He says, just as you've always obeyed, so he's pointing backward to their behavior. He says, um, continue to do this. Right, he uses, a, he uses the phrase, work out your salvation, but he's, um, he's connecting that with their previous obedience. And so what he's talking about here is obedience with fear and trembling in Philippians 2.12. He's not talking about earning anything. anything. He's, he's saying that there's not, gonna, there's not a point in your life, in this life, at which the Christians in Philippi could say, or you and I can say, I'm saved, I don't need to do anything more, and I can act as I, I please. That is antithetical, that is that is antichrist. Right? That's the, the exact opposite of what Jesus called for. And so if I take that attitude, what it what it betrays me to and what it reveals, I should say it, that my heart is not in the right place. Um, that you know, I, like the the wicked servant, I'm taking for granted the forgiveness that I've received from my master, and now I am not living in gratitude, and I'm not uh, sharing the good news of of who he is and what he's done with others, and it hasn't transformed me in any in any real way, and so I'm I'm illegitimate. And Paul is saying, don't don't let that be you. Don't fall into that trap. Consider another text from 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2, where Paul says, I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which you also received and which you also stand. And then listen to this, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. So Paul, again, is, is pointing back to uh, past events. Uh, but notice here he he names a condition. And even though the translation seems to read, in this case, in the past tense, you know, translations aren't perfect, the the original language essentially says um, the gospel by which you are being saved. And so this is actually in 
in in the present tense, but he's he is talking about the gospel that he preached and they they received, and he says that salvation is this continuing process, and it's based upon what? It's based upon a condition, right? Which is their obedience. So James echoes the language of Paul as well in James one twenty one when he says, "Remember, both of these guys are writing to they're writing to Christians." And James says, put aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, and in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Now, why would he say that? Why would he say that to Christians? Why would Christians need this admonition if being in a saved relationship with Jesus, being in fellowship with Christ and having salvation, um, why would they say this if, if they could never lose, if Christians couldn't lose their salvation, if there wasn't a way to forfeit it? Both James and Paul were writing to their brothers and sisters in Christ who had already obeyed the gospel, but they're telling them to keep on receiving the gospel, keep on learning, keep standing in the, in the truth. Don't believe in, in vain. And, and they're connecting this reception of the word of God with, with being saved, with salvation. So remember... You know that Paul is telling Christians that their salvation is conditioned upon holding fast to the word, he says, which I preach to you. Holding fast to the word which I preach to you. Uh, so, you know, as we're answering our, our questions, we can see pretty quickly, I think, that um, no, the Bible doesn't always speak of the salvation of Christians in the past tense. Um, it speaks of it. Actually, in all three tenses, as we're going to see, past, present, and future. Uh, and, and there's a reason uh, for that. And I, I believe the reason is, is that because we can forfeit um, our salvation. God wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the two, truth, First uh, Timothy 2, 4, and 5. Uh, but that doesn't mean those who have come to a knowledge of the truth um, are are just incapable now of of sinning and incapable of falling away from, from Christ and, and losing that privilege status with God and, and losing the reconciliation and losing the blessings that they have in Christ. They're, they they are capable of that. Each of us is. And the New Testament is filled with examples in that regard and also you know, these these warnings that we're that we're reading, these exhortations to faithfulness and the you know the warnings that are implied with the, for the consequences of of unfaithfulness, right? Uh, and so the there is another way in which the Bible speaks of the Christian salvation, and that's in the, the future tense. As I mentioned, all three tenses are used. And so when we think of verses about salvation being spoken of in the future tense, um, Jesus says in Mark sixteen that he who has believed and is baptized shall be saved. But he who is disbelieved shall be condemned. So here, you know, I mentioned Mark 16 earlier. Jesus, he's he's laying down, he's speaking in the future tense, but he's laying down the criterion by which any individual man or woman will be will, will be saved, can have salvation in the future as his apostles take his gospel to the world and present present it to the world, the evidence for him. And as people believe and are convicted and come to Jesus on his terms and conditions, 
he promises salvation. They shall be saved. And within this one verse, we see the doctrine of universalism refuted. Uh, that you know, salvation is for every, for everyone on on uncondition on an unconditional basis. And while it's true, salvation is for everyone. John three sixteen that Jesus died for the whole world. Um, it is not without conditions. It it does have conditions. We've seen several of them already in the, in the text that we've been reading. And so Jesus is teaching that, number one, not all men will be saved, and number two, man's salvation is contingent upon his response to the gospel. God gets all the credit and glory, but he expects a response from man. And anyone who does now or in, or in the future can have the hope of salvation, can be assured that uh, they are in a right relationship with God. And there's also other occasions wherein the apostles will speak in the future tense of salvation or uh, to, to people who are already Christians, um, as we've been as we've seen, you know, they're writing to Christians about their past salvation and their present salvation that's being uh, worked out in the, in the condition of their souls. They do the same um, in the future tense. For example, Paul says to the Romans in Romans 13 and verse 11, he says, do this knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is near to us than we believe. And so Romans 13, he's in the context he's discussing um, submission to uh, governing authorities and, and not being rebellious, uh, but sub- submissive and in the interest of, uh, of the kingdom and promoting Christ, uh, Jesus' cause. And he's saying... Um, you know, be be alert, uh, be awakened, because salvation, he says, is nearer to us than when we believe. And so, Paul, you know, as we've seen, he understood that his own salvation and the salvation of his brethren, you know, had occurred at a particular point in the past when they entered into, you know, a saved relationship. We could say with with God, reconciled to God, is is the word that he uses in places like Second Corinthians five. Um, 20 through 21 and in and, and other places as he talks about the word of reconciliation. Uh, but uh, he also speaks of it as something, salvation that needs to be worked out. And then, you know, in the present tense, and then here he's talking about salvation as being near to us or, and nearer than when we believe. So how can this be? And well, I think other scripture provides an answer. You know, the the Bible is it's, own best commentary. You're probably tired of hearing me say that, but it's true. And, you know, if anything, I hope that these podcasts and these studies are, you know, just fuel for you to go and and study even more on your own, investigate further. Because, you know, what I'm just offering a few verses here in response to this question. I mean, this is just the tip of the iceberg. But if you go and you you, you dig into the Word and you look for answers, you know, not not the answer that you're hoping for, the answer that you want, but just what God's answer is and follow whatever it leads. Wherever it leads, he promises that you're going to find it. And so Scripture is its own best commentary. And Peter says this in, in 1 Peter 1 and verse 5. Uh, he says that he speaks of salvation, notice that's ready to be revealed in the last time. And so he's he's encouraging Christians to, uh, to faithfulness and growth and expressing his appreciation for that. And he's talking about 
Now there's salvation that's going to be revealed, he says, in the last days or the last time. And so both Peter and Paul saw salvation as something that would be fully revealed in the future for Christians. And they're they're connecting it with a a particular day and time uh, when Jesus would return and that Christians would receive what he promised them. Um, and so they they're envisioning this that you know as we move forward in time as we live our lives here each day is ultimately bringing us closer to that specific time when uh, when Jesus brings his reward to those who are faithful to him whether we're talking about inching closer to our our individual last day on earth or or his second coming whichever comes first um but because of the life he lived, Paul could confidently assert his eternal destiny. Notice what he says to Timothy in some of his final words here in 2 Timothy 4, 6-8. through 8. He says, The time of my departure has come, and I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. And he goes on to say, which the Lord will give me um, on that day. And not to me only, but to everyone who's loved his his appearing or his coming into the world. And so Paul was assured of his salvation. He knew it was something that occurred in the past that he himself need to work, needed to work out. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 through 27 is another text wherein you can see him saying something similar to Philippians 2.12 about working out salvation. Um, he's talking about disciplining himself so that he won't be disqualified from the race in, in the end. Um but Paul understood also that, like, like Peter, a time was coming when there would be this, this deeper, fuller realization of salvation. That, that, again, baptism was only the beginning. Obedience to the gospel initially was only the beginning, and, and that his life was a race, as he pictures it. Um, here in 2 Timothy 2 and also in, in 1 Corinthians 9, to a race to get to where Christ is, to become more like him. It was something he worked toward all his life. And he knew that in doing so, God would be true to his promise. Right? That God promises this on the condition of faithfulness, those, those striving for the ideal, knowing that we'll never reach it in this life. And Paul admits it much in first in Philippians three, rather, you know, when he talks about the resurrection, he says, "I have I haven't attained it. I haven't become perfect yet, but I'm striving for the goal. I'm pressing toward the mark of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And I forget what lies behind me, and I press I press on. I press ahead. And that's my paraphrase. But we see that you know this this apostle striving for the ideal, and then encouraging us also to strive for the ideal, knowing that perfection. Uh, and completeness will not be had in this life. But if we are true disciples of Christ, we will always be seeking it because he deserves no less. And there's joy in that, and there's peace in that, and there's blessing in that. And this is what Paul means when he talks about standing in the in the gospel or continuing in the gospel. And what Jesus meant in John 8, 31 and 32, when he talked about abiding in his truth, 
that true disciples, or he says, you're my disciples indeed if you abide in my word. So, you know, there's this pattern of continuation. It's not just a one and done kind of deal. You know, okay, I believe I'm baptized, you know, and I've passed the bar and now it's just, I'm going to coast into heaven. That's nowhere found in the New Testament. And I'm not saying the person who's asking the question believes that. I'm just, I just know that that's an attitude that's prevalent in the, in the religious world, sadly. Uh, but it's an unbiblical one. And the attitude itself is enough to condemn us, not just the behavior to which it leads, uh, but even that kind of thinking, because it's the exact opposite of what is commanded here and in places like Second Peter 3, 18, where Peter says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so it's a process. And if we ever turn back, as Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, we put our hand to the plow and we look back over our shoulders. He says, that man is not fit for the kingdom. Right? He wants to determine people. He wants to focus people. He wants people who are continuing to strive. And, and those who do can confidently speak of their salvation in the same way that Paul did. Because if we can read and see the conditions for ourselves and understand that God has made promises based on those conditions, then we can take him at his word. He's a God of his word. And when he says, you can be holy and blameless and beyond reproach before me, in Colossians 1.22, he means exactly that. But he also means what he says in verse 23, which is the condition for it. Holy and blameless, beyond reproach, if indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel that we have heard. Well, I appreciate you tuning in and hope that you'll continue to look at these passages and, and others that, that speak to this question. It's a good question. I appreciate, um, appreciate you asking. And uh, I hope that uh, you'll prayerfully consider, you know, not only what we've seen this today, but uh, in this study, but prayerfully consider the passages that, that you read that pertain to this issue. So again, appreciate you tuning in. I'm Jason Garcia, and this has been Faithful Sayings.